you have a Bible, would you please take it and turn to the book of Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 15 through 21. If you're not sure where Ephesians is, it's in the back part of your Bible, probably the back eighth of the Bible there. Uh, and you'll find Ephesians, and we'll be in chapter 5 as we continue this study that we have been going through for a good while now. Maybe you've had this experience, like I have had this experience of uh, driving, and you, you get home, you pull into your driveway, and you put the car in park, and you pause, and you say, I don't even know how I got here. <laughs> you don't remember any of the, the turns that you took, or did I run a red light maybe? I don't even know what just happened. Uh, or maybe you get to the, to the end of a day, and you you feel like you were hardly present in anything that happened that day. Those experiences can be a little unsettling uh, in our hearts. But I think what can be even more unsettling is to arrive at our pl a place, not in our driveway, but in our, in our life, where we look around and we say, how did I get here? How did I get to this place in my life? It's hard to, to peer sometimes into our souls or to think about how we live and, and wonder what has led us to this place. We often don't get to that place of life examination because it's easy to go on autopilot in, in life, to just kind of float from one thing to the other, to go through our routines day after day. But here in Ephesians 5, uh, verses 15 through 20, 21, God's word gives us a command, and it's this, pay attention Pay attention to the way you walk. We'll take that as both our title and our big idea today. Another walk command, surprise, surprise from Paul here, but pay attention to the way you walk. Walking for the most part is a fairly mindless activity. In fact, I think if, uh, if you start to think about walking too much, that's when you trip. <laughs> or Ian was reminding me that, Often now we walk and we are looking at our phones, and it's amazing how you can walk uh, and be doing something completely different and still um, not fall. Uh, but if walking in Paul's, is Paul's metaphor for living, which it is, then the imper it's imperative for us to pay attention to the way we live. If not, we might end up walking down a path at the end of which we say, how did I get here? And so Paul says, pay attention to the way that you walk. Surprisingly, we, even we as followers of Jesus, often find ourselves paying attention to many other things other than our Christian life. We're concerned about our jobs or our retirement savings. We're concerned about our education or the education of our children, about the news, about the stock market, about how many likes we have on social media or what strangers think about us. Some of these things are perfectly fine to be concerned with. In fact, some of them may be a part of what we very much should care about. But the question I think that Paul's words bring to mind is this. Do, do we pay attention to the way that we walk as followers of Jesus? Do we regularly pause and ask if we are walking in the good works that are laid out for us, Ephesians 2.10, if we're walking worthy of our calling, Ephesians 4.1, if we're walking in love and walking as children of light? 
We've noted how practical Paul has been in this second half of the book of Ephesians, showing how all the gospel-centered theology of chapters 1 uh, through 3 are worked out in our everyday lives, or as he calls it, are worked out in our walk. And, and in the verses that follow today's passage, Paul is going to move into, into a discussion of how we as Christians should act in some of our everyday relationships. But before, before he gets there, he adds a few final instructions on how we are to walk as followers of Jesus. Instructions that seem to combine the commands that we've looked at the past two weeks, namely to walk in love amongst our fellow Christians and to walk as children of light as we live in a world that is in darkness due to sin. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21 summarizes those two commands and, and it paves the way for this discussion of the way that Christians relate, to, uh, relate as husbands and wives, as children and parents, as servants and masters. But for today, God's word simply says to us, pay attention to the way that you walk. And what we find is that if we're paying attention to how we walk, then we will walk in wisdom and we will walk in the spirit. So let's pay attention to God's word at this moment so that we can think about how we pay attention to our walk. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. This is what God's word says. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. As we seek to pay attention to the way that we walk, we might pose two questions. And the first is in uh, verses 15 through 17, and it's this, are we walking in wisdom? Are we walking in wisdom? Wisdom in, scriptures, in the scriptures is not simply knowledge that resides in our heads, but it's knowledge that's worked out in our lives. Wisdom is uh, often defined as skill in living. Um, or we could say that it's skill in walking, according to, to Paul here. And verse 15 indicates that if we're going to walk like those who are wise, then we need to stop walking like those who are unwise. Again, we're met with the, the put-off, put-on pattern that was introduced back in chapter 4. Wisdom, then, is, is not simply knowing the foolish things that we should stop, and it's not just knowing the wise practices that we should begin. It's, it's both which are empowered by the renewal of our minds around the truth that we have been redeemed by Jesus so that we can walk in wisdom. As we seek to assess whether or not we are walking in wisdom, Paul gives us two closely related uh, measures for godly wisdom. These are what they are. How we spend our time and whose will we seek. Are we walking in wisdom? It's going to have to do with how we spend our time and whose will we seek. So first, walking in wisdom means that we pay attention to how we spend our time. Think about that phrase, spending our time. It gets at the idea that we are given a certain amount of time each day. Um, that, that We're given this, this amount of time each day as well as a certain amount of days in our lives. Uh, we speak about spending money as well, don't we? 
because money is a resource that we have a, a limited supply of, at least all of us do. Maybe there's some people that don't think about how they spend their money, but we all have to pay attention to it because we have a limited supply of money. In fact, James 4.14 reminds us that no, none of us knows how much time we have here on earth. All of our actions and our plans are, need to be lived under this banner of if the Lord wills. But what we do know is that we've been given this day, and in this day, we've been given 1,440 minutes. So the wise person pauses and pays attention to the time that he or she has and how that time is spent, recognizing that our days are always in the Lord's hands. Maybe you have a budget, a budget for your finances, which is certainly a very wise thing to do. But what about a budget for your time? What if we created a spreadsheet for our days and our weeks and our years and we started to put serious effort into thinking through how we spend the time that we are given? This is the wisdom expressed in Psalm 90. This is what the psalmist says, the years of our life are 70 and even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. Therefore, each of us, so teach us to Number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Like money, we, we also speak of investing our time. You ever use that phrase, investing our time? We take the minutes and the hours that we have and we give them over to activities or we give them to people. And the question becomes, given the limited amount of time that we have, are these people, are these things the best place to invest my time in? And Paul seems to indicate here that if we invest our time well, we can actually redeem that time. Not that we multiply it, but rather that we take a moment that could be used for good or evil or even for just neutral purposes and we invest it in such a way that it brings goodness into our lives and goodness into the lives of others. What an amazing thing we can redeem our time. The power of redeeming our time is seen in where Paul says our motivation for doing so is found. Where is it found? It's found in the fact that the days are evil. Make the best use of your time because the days are evil. If we were to think about the world as a table or a board, we would find that the world is, is not level. It, it, it leans, and it leans towards evil, such that if we don't pay attention to how we spend our time, we're going to naturally drift downward into sin. But by God's grace, through the, the power of his spirit, we can climb the uphill battle towards godliness. And that's where this second question regarding walking in wisdom ties in, because wisdom is not only found in how we spend our time, but it's found in whose will we seek whose will we seek. The word will has to do with desire. In Ephesians 2.3, it's the same word that's used to describe the fact that before Christ saved us, we indulged in the desires of the flesh, the will of the flesh. But now we're to, to put aside that foolishness and we're to seek to understand what the will of the Lord is. It's an interesting phrase in that it doesn't say God's will, it says the Lord's will, probably being a reference to, to Jesus, thereby affirming Jesus' deity, as Paul does in small ways actually throughout these verses. And speaking of his will, this is probably not speaking of Christ's particular will 
for each of us, but his general will for all of his children. So not the specific will that God has for your life, but God's universal will for all of his children. And 1 Thessalonians 4.3 is clear that the Lord's will is our sanctification, our holiness. God's will is that we would be holy, which is what Paul has just been, been spelling out in the previous verses. Remember, walking worthy of the, the calling to which we have been called involves walking in unity as his people. It involves walking in holiness and in purity. And if, if this will, of, uh, if, if God's will is for, for unity and holiness, this is what we, we want to understand. It's what we want to pay attention to. We want to put off the foolishness of the flesh and we want to put on the wisdom of holiness that's seen in walking in love towards one another, walking as children of light in this world. This is the will that we are to seek. So we're meditating on this question, are we walking in wisdom? And if we do that, we begin to see other questions that come out. Questions like, how am I spending my time? Whose will am I seeking? Do I pay attention to my moments and my days, and in them am I diligently seeking the Lord's will? Or am I just doing whatever I want? Just doing everything that, that I feel like doing, and just kind of hoping that it fits with God that he's okay with it. Sisters and brothers, pay attention to how you walk. And, and do so by asking, am I walking in wisdom? How do I spend my time and whose will am I seeking? There's a second broader question that we come to regarding paying, paying attention to our lives. It's in verses 18 through 21. And it's the question, are we walking in the spirit? Are we walking in the spirit? Well, at this point, we're not surprised by another put-off, put-on command. Uh, Paul has been giving us lots of these, and we see another one in verse 18. Do you see it there? Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, the command to not get drunk is found elsewhere in Scripture. Uh, the most memorable is probably in Proverbs 23, 29 through 35. Listen to what the, the wisdom of the proverb says. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Answer, those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. <laughs> so drunkenness is clearly foolish and sinful. We know this from the scriptures and from experience. But why does Paul bring this up here? It would seem to be part of a, an illustration of the opposite of what he wants us to pursue, namely being filled with the Spirit. His focus is in saying don't be drunk with wine is on the reality that, that wine, when drunk, when drunk to excess, controls a person so that they lose their inhibitions and they fall into what he calls debauchery, meaning the loss of of inhibitions that comes from drunkenness and leads to a host of other shameful and disgraceful acts. Drunkenness is foolishness. 
If you've experienced drunkenness yourself or if you've been around people who are controlled by alcohol, you know the foolishness of it and the havoc that it can bring into people's lives. We often joke about drunkenness and laugh at people who are drunk, but it brings massive evil into our world and into our lives. And so instead of being drunk with wine, the follower of Jesus is to what? Be filled with the Spirit. To be controlled by the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit is the, is the opposite of being controlled by alcohol. Because it doesn't, being controlled by the Spirit doesn't lead to a lack of control. It doesn't lead to a loss of your inhibitions. But rather it leads to an awareness of who we are and an ability to control ourselves. An ability to say no to sin and to say yes to God. To be filled with the Spirit is parallel to walking by the Spirit and producing the fruit of the Spirit, which includes self-control. We saw this in our reading in Galatians 5. Unlike the, the disorder that drunkenness brings, the Spirit brings order. The Spirit brings peace into our lives and into our churches. Therefore, it's, it's probably unwise to talk about being intoxicated with the Spirit. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here because intoxication means a loss of control. But to be filled with the Spirit is, is actually to be fully alert, ready to follow the Lord in everything. We should be clear that the filling of the Spirit is different from the indwelling of the Spirit. The indwelling of the Spirit speaks to the reality that everyone who repents of their sins and trusts in, in the work of Jesus in his life and his death and his resurrection receives the gift of the Spirit's presence. However, there seems to be a filling of the Spirit that has to do with our, our yieldedness to him, how, how surrendered we are to the Lord and to his will. And that's why the verb here has the force of saying, we need to be filled with the Spirit again and again. Be filled with the Spirit again and again is what it's saying. The, the filling of the Spirit doesn't happen in a moment of time, but it is something that we are to continually seek after. We are to be filled with the Spirit moment by moment and to continually be surrendering, surrendering ourselves to the Spirit so that we might be bear, bear His fruit in our lives. Bao actually points out that this imagery could refer to the church's status as the new temple of God, as the place where God's spirit dwells. And in fact, these specific applications that we're going to go through and are the outworkings of the spirit's filling recall the, the language of worship and of, of the temple gatherings. Maybe just keep that in the back of your mind as we walk through this. Um, grammatically, all of the phrases that we're going to look at here in verses 19 through 21 are, are dependent, actually, on the command of verse 18 to be filled with the Spirit. That's a convoluted way of saying this. As we're filled with the Spirit, we are enabled to seek after the things that are mentioned in the following verses. The filling of the Spirit is, is what causes these other things to happen. There are four things stated which with the help of John Stott, we're going to summarize with four words, encouragement, worship, gratitude, and submission. So let's walk through these. If, if we are filled with the Spirit, then our lives are going to be marked first by encouragement. Encouragement. On the surface, we might be tempted to say that verse 19 reveals that the filling of the Spirit leads to singing in God's people addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord 
with your heart. And that, that's true, but there are actually two kinds of singing that are described here. And so we're, we're speaking of encouragement first because the text says that we are to address one another in song. Address one another in song. Now, does that mean that we're supposed to live like we're in a Broadway musical and we just kind of sing everything to one another? Of course not, right? That's not what, what's going on here. It, it simply means that uh, it helps us see that when we sing on Sundays, it's not something individual. It's something corporate. We're singing to one another in the sense that we're bolstering one another's faith as we together announce who God is and remind one another what God has done. We address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's hard to say what the nuance is between these various songs, but maybe it's a reminder that we need all kinds of music. We, we need robust hymns that ground us in the doctrines of the church. We need emotional songs that fill our hearts with joy as we think on the Lord's love. We need simple choruses that get stuck in our head and keep Christ before our eyes on a daily basis. We need to be wise about what songs we sing, but what we don't need to be is, is snobbish about what we sing. Because part of the criteria for choosing music is, is this something that encourages others? Will this song be something that we can sing and fills the hearts of my brothers and sisters with, with joy? A few weeks ago, we closed our service by singing, All I Have is Christ. I don't know if you remember this, but right before I said the benediction, I said, you all sang that like you believed it. Uh, and I, I, I thought in that moment that I needed you to sing it that way, that I need you to sing those songs, these songs like you believe it. I need to hear you singing. One practical outworking of this is found uh, in the danger of, of, um, of amplifying our music too much. Because I don't just need to hear Mark singing this song, right? I need to hear all of you singing these songs together. I need to know, I need to in some sense to, to look around the room and know what everyone's gone through in life or even in this week or even in the day before. I need to know what you've experienced. I know you need to know what we've experienced as a church. I need to be aware of your struggles. I need to be aware of your doubts. I need to be aware of your hardships. And then I need to look across the aisle and see that you're singing. You're singing the same thing that I'm singing. And that encourages my heart. Uh, the singer-songwriter Andrew Peterson tells the story in a song that he has, has written of a night when he was supposed to perform a concert, but he says he could hardly get up on the stage, just was overwhelmed in different ways. But he had to because he's a singer-songwriter. That's what you do. And so he and some friends who toured with him stood in front of the crowd, and in the song, this is what he says. He says, but when I stepped up to the microphone, I heard it. It was the voices of the brothers at my side. They were singing out my song when the song in me had died. What a beautiful picture. Because sometimes I need to hear you sing when I can't sing. You need to hear people sing when you can't sing the songs that are in the bulletin. I need you to tell me the truth of who God is and of what Christ has done and where my hope rest. I need you to say all of these things to me, and I need you to sing it until I can sing it with you sometimes. When we are filled with the Spirit, we encourage one another through singing. Uh, the filling of the Spirit leads to another kind of singing. It's called worship. <laughs> worship, 
as God's saints, as if we remember that picture of the temple, as the temple of God, as a kingdom of priests, we offer sacrifices of worship to God through song. We sing and make melody, it says here, to the Lord. Our God and our Savior, He alone is worthy of worship. In the end, our God is the final subject of every true song. And we are invited in this way to join with the angels in announcing to our souls and to one another and to the world the greatness and the glory of our God. Singing is not a small thing. Singing is a heavenly thing. It's a foretaste of the future glory that pulls back the veil here in this dark world and lets the light of the new kingdom shine around us. Singing is not a small thing. It's a divine thing. It invites the power of God to fill our world and to display the strength of the God who raises the dead and who one day will remake this whole world. All this singing is to be done, we're told, with our hearts. And this heart engagement is the key. Not the beauty of your voice, but the purity of your heart. When we sing, we're allowing our hearts to overflow with love and worship to the God who has saved us. Therefore, practical application, sing even if you can't sing. <laughs> and by that I mean if you feel like you're not a good singer. <laughs> sing. Do any of you know someone who can't sing, but you sit next to them in church and they sing. <laughs> and they sing as loud as, as anyone. Those folks are the best. We need people like that in church. And you need to be that person if that's who you are. Because they remind us of this. That the thing that we're doing every Sunday is never about performance. That is not the point of this at all. What's it about? It's about worship to God and encouragement of one another. And sometimes the person who sings the worst is the most encouraging to our souls. Worship and music is about our hearts. Therefore, it's beautiful in any form as when it comes from a pure heart. So to be filled with the Spirit means we're marked by encouragement. Second, we're marked by, by worship. And third, by gratitude. By gratitude. If you were here with us last week, you saw the power of thanksgiving in relation to fighting against covetousness. And here... Paul speaks of when we should give thanks. He talks about what we should give thanks for. And he talks about who we should give thanks to. So look at verse 20. Let's do this together, okay? I'm going to ask three questions, and you're going to give me the answers out loud if you like. Um, first question, when should we give thanks? Always, right? That's right there. We give thanks always. Uh, second question, what do we get to give thanks for? Everything, right? We give thanks always, and we give thanks for everything. This one's a little bit more complicated. And who are we to give thanks to? To God. To God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Check out the Trinitarian nature of thanksgiving. When we are filled with the Spirit, we see the goodness of the Father and we recognize the mediation of the Son. We recognize the fact that all the good that comes to us from the Father is because of the work of the Son. And, the God, and God is working in us in that way when we give thanks. 
Meditating on this verse, we discover that in all circumstances, whatever comes our way, there is a way that the follower of Jesus who trusts in the good, that the follower of Jesus can trust in the goodness of God and give thanks, no matter what comes, when things are going well and when things go the opposite of the way we want them to, when work is encouraging and when work is infuriating, <laughs> when school is fun and when school is frustrating, when life is exciting and when life is just drudgery. In all of these circumstances, we can find something to be thankful for. Why? Because we know the heart of our Father, and we know that His greatest desire is for our good. And we are more concerned about our Christ-likeness than we are about our comfort. So even in trials of many kinds, James says in James chapter 1, we can count it all joy. Why? Because we know patience is at work within us, and patience is, is going to have His perfect work to make us more into the image of Jesus. If you've ever gotten an email from Carolyn, you've seen this quote. If you've, you've heard me say it from this pulpit before, Elizabeth Elliot says, It is always possible to be thankful for what is given rather than resentful over what is withheld. One attitude or the other becomes a way of life. Isn't that good? So we're, we're marked. Uh, uh, the question then becomes, am I marked by complaining? Am I marked by discontentment or by God's grace through the filling of his spirit? Am I someone who gives thanks always and for everything to God in Christ? That's what the filling of the spirit will do. It fills us with a heart that is filled with thanksgiving always and in everything to God through Christ. A final mark of the spirit's filling is in verse 21 and it's submission. Submission. In Galatians 5, the first fruit of the Spirit listed is love. Love is what marks the person who's filled with the Spirit, and particularly a love for fellow followers of Jesus. So we are to be marked as those who, who are humble and who are ready to serve one another. The church is not a place marked by people stepping over one another. The church is a place marked by people who stoop and wash one another's feet. This is what John Stott says. Sometimes a person who claims to be filled with the Spirit becomes aggressive, self-assertive, and brash. But the Holy Spirit is a humble spirit. And those who are truly filled with Him always display the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. You see, we serve one another and we submit to one another, and we do it, we're told, out of reverence for Christ, out of fear and respect for Jesus. We look at the life of Jesus, and we see that he not only washed his disciples' feet, but he's crucified for them. We follow a Savior who laid aside all of his rights so that he might die in our place and save our souls. And if we would have that same love, and that if we want to have the same mind as Jesus, then it means, according to Philippians 2, 3, that we will do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility we will count others more significant than ourselves. And so we're to pay attention to our lives. We need to pay attention to how we walk. 
Are we walking in wisdom, redeeming the time that we've been given? And, and are we seeking the Lord's will? Are we, are we walking in the Spirit, being filled with Him in such a way that our lives are marked by encouragement, worship, thanksgiving, and submission? As we pay attention to our lives, though, we need to also pay attention to Jesus. Don't, don't pay so much attention to your life that you lose focus on Jesus. Remember, always fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's remember that, that he is the one who has done all of these things completely, and our hope is found in his life and death, not in our good deeds. He is our example of wisdom. He is our example of a spirit-filled life. But even more glorious than that, Jesus is our righteousness. So, May we always look to Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith who endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the Father's right hand, interceding for us and giving us his very spirit. Pay attention to your life. Pay attention to your walk. But don't lose heart when you feel lost. Because at the end of our days, we're going to look around at our lives. Well, actually, we're not going to look around at our lives. We're going to we're going to look at God's new kingdom. And you know what question we're going to ask? We're going to say, how did I get here? <laughs> Not in that confused moment like when we're sitting in our driveway and say, I don't even know what I'm doing with my life, but rather surrounded by the glory of the kingdom, we'll say, how in the world did I get to this place? How did I, who wandered and tripped through life and sometimes didn't know what the next step was, how did I get to this place? And what's the answer? The answer isn't because of what we've done. <laughs> and the answer won't be uh, because of the list of good deeds. What's the answer going to be? It's the answer Lena gave today. It's that my only hope in life and death is that I'm not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. To him alone be glory. Let's take a moment of silence and reflect on God's word, and then I will pray for us. Father, we confess that so often we are floating through life. We're not paying attention not paying attention to our Christian walk, not pray, paying attention to how we are living. We are being foolish in the way that we use our time, seeking the will of others and, or our own will and not seeking after your will. We're filled with so many other things and not filled with your spirit. Well, to help uh, make us people that look like Christ, make us people who are encouraging, who live lives of worship, who live lives of thankfulness and submission to others. Make us wise, Lord. But ultimately, Lord, fill our vision always with, with Christ so that we would remember who he is and that he is our hope and that he is the one that gives us the strength to walk in these ways. Lord, I want to ask all this in his name. Amen.